0: So welcome back to the Armchair Trader podcast, and this week we are revisiting the biotech sector, which uh, we know is of great interest to a lot of our lot of our listeners and indeed our readers on the Armchair Trader website. Interesting week to be um, recording this, as the as I see the price of Gene Drive is off to the races again today. But that demonstrates just. The level of focus that investors have in this sector. Um, So uh, we've got uh, another fund manager on on the show today who's going to be talking to us a little bit more about what's going on in the world of biotech. And we welcome Dallas Webb, um, who is the portfolio advisor to the listed Swiss investment company, BB Biotech. Uh, so welcome to the show, Dallas.
1: Oh, thank you, Stuart, very much for having me. And uh, on behalf of BB Biotech, we also say uh, thank you to to all your listeners as well.
0: Can you can we start off just basically giving us a little bit of a description of BB Biotech, what it is and, and what its approach is to the biotech sector?
1: So I've been with BB Biotech for over 15 years now. It'll be 16 in, in August. So um, got some good time there. Um, Prior to BB Biotech, I was on the sell side for about four, four years, uh, covering the biotech sector. And uh, so now I'm in the sector for about 20 years. So I've gotten to see quite a lot of the ups and downs, ins and outs of the of the sector, how it behaves. Um, I did my undergraduate research in pre medicine, uh, microbiology, and zoology. I then went got, went and got my MBA uh, in finance, and that's how I was able to marry. Uh, you know, the medical field with the financial field and, and got me to where I am now. Uh, BB Biotech itself, uh, we were founded in 1993 in Zurich. Um, we're sit, sitting currently on approximately $3 billion in net asset value. Uh, we're long-only closed-ended fund. We trade on three exchanges, uh, Switzerland, Germany, and Italy. Uh, we do an extremely due diligence uh, deep dive on all of our uh, investments and uh, that includes extensive financial modeling as well. We can invest up to 10% in private equity. We're currently publicly invested, but we have that option to do privates. Um, and what we're looking for in in, uh, in our investments is true innovation. So we don't do generics, we don't do me too drugs, we don't do devices, we're purely biotech therapeutics. Uh, and we do have a, a quite a seasoned investment team, we have Four portfolio managers based in Zurich, and uh, three in the U.S. One of which I am, um, and we have our U.S. headquarters in Manhattan. Uh, and I'm I'm living in the Boston area, but commute there uh, quite often. And then finally, uh, for BB Biotech, we do have a very seasoned board of directors, um, and this board has to approve all uh, investment and divestment. Proposals, so uh, lots of sets of eyes on every investment that's in the portfolio.
0: From the perspective of professional money managers in the biotech sector, how important is it? And you've mentioned your background already, but how important is it that they have some level of formal um, sort of clinical background in terms of their in terms of their um, their academic background that they've done some kind of life sciences exposure? Would you say that that's essential that you've got that that kind of understanding?
1: I think it's very important um, but I think you know people that people that have worked in the sector for so many years you pick up you pick up a lot as you go, so I wouldn't say it's an absolute you know mandatory criteria but uh it's it's definitely very helpful absolutely
0: and I wanted to talk a little bit about the the sort of top trends going on in biotech at the moment. Um, and see if you could give us a little bit of perspective on those, um, namely neurological diseases, um, which is a big area, gene therapy, another one that we, we hear a lot about. And then also the increasing use of artificial intelligence in, in the biotech sector as well.
1: Absolutely. So uh, all three of those points that you uh, mentioned are extremely uh, <laughs> on point um those are very hot topics right now and areas where we are very active uh in the neuro side not only are we in the psychiatric uh you know such as uh depression etc but we're also in the neuromuscular side as well um an example there is ionis with their sma drug um and then moving to gene therapy very active there uh we've we've we have one investment now in gene therapy we've had two others that were actually uh bought so Avexis and Audentis Um, and gene therapy is a very interesting space right now Um, we've seen a lot of clinical holes getting put especially in the AAV uh, space and I think it's just showing that you know the as these technologies evolve so quickly the FDA is really trying to get their hands around what's what's happening biologically, and uh, that doesn't mean that these clinical holds are going to kill the sector or anything. It's just keeping people a little bit more cautious. Uh, but I think gene therapy is here to stay. It's a very very powerful powerful technology, and uh, we we meet with uh, multiple gene therapy companies every week. Uh, I think there's there's over three hundred and twenty private gene therapy companies right now uh out there in the field. Uh so it's it's a growing field, it's it's here to stay. Uh it's just more navigating uh some of the the uh you know some of the clinical benefits and impacts there. And then regarding uh artificial intelligence, uh definitely a very hot field, a very important field on two levels. Uh one level from the investment side so uh, investors like ourselves using AI to help us um, you know, somewhat predict clinical trial readouts, uh, those kind of things. And then uh, on the other side of the spectrum, companies using AI to increase the productivity in terms of drug screening and um, increasing the uh, efficiency in which uh, a drug target is um, identified and then getting that actually into the clinic. So I think artificial intelligence is going to play a big part going forward uh, and and increase efficiency across the board for both investors and companies.
0: And you mentioned there something called clinical holds. Can you just explain a little bit more about what you you mean by that?
1: Sure. So a clinical hold, um, it's it's just what it sounds like. So a company is running a clinical trial, um, and then the FDA – alerts them that based on data that they've been giving to the FDA over time as the trial has been running, the FDA thinks they need to stop enrolling patients in that trial and um, find out whatever the specific issue is that the FDA has, whether it's safety or lack of efficacy. So an example would be um, if a gene therapy company is, is running a study uh, they're giving feedback to the FDA constantly, um, safety data, uh, mainly, of course, up front. Uh, and if the FDA identifies a safety signal that it's not comfortable with, it will say, okay, we need to put your clinical trial on hold for now until you supply us with more information or change uh, clinical protocols to to uh, preserve the safety of the patients. That's That's in a nutshell what clinical holds are
0: and and with some of these new technologies because they're so new people don't know you know from the regulatory perspective there's you know less understood about them so they're just being extra cautious when it's a very pioneering company with a very pioneering therapy
1: absolutely and when you look at gene therapy and and also gene editing you know in some cases you're you're altering the human genome in cert, in certain cells So these are, you know, one-time treatments in many cases that will have a lifelong effect. So if they're seeing a safety signal in very early studies in a small amount of patients, they're going to say, okay, let's put this on hold and make sure we understand what's going on here before we keep enrolling more patients. So they're, you know, keeping the patient safety uh, as a top priority
0: and from from your perspective, um, you know you've mentioned already that you 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 as BB biotech you can get into private uh, companies you can get into listed companies. What do you favor in terms of um, the actual size of companies? do you favor say small cap versus mid cap or or do you lean more towards the the larger the larger players out there what's your where do you see the sweet spot in terms of the firstly the size of the company and then private versus versus public companies?
1: Sure, sure. Lots of questions in that one. Um, (laughs) No, uh, I think uh, it's a great question. Um, And we get that one a lot. So on the public side, our sweet spot is essentially the mid cap space. Um, And one of the reasons for that would be that when a company gets to the mid cap size, usually, um, they've had some type of proof of concept data to come out to de-risk either the asset and or their platform. So that's that's why the mid-cap space is, is very attractive. However, we do uh, also invest in the small caps. Um, and when we invest in small caps, uh, it's all about the data that we can analyze. It's all about the science and the innovation that they're bringing. So uh, for us to get a high conviction in a small cap, they're going to have to have a a truly transformative pipeline, a truly transformative platform. Uh, that's, that's what we'd uh, be looking for in a small cap. The larger, you know, big caps and especially large pharma, uh, we're not as involved in. Um, we see, uh, the mid caps is very exciting in terms of growth, but that also comes on the flip side in, in bear markets, mid caps and small caps get hit much harder. Uh, I think we've all seen that, uh, but that doesn't deter us. We still, uh, stick true to our strategy now when it comes to privates it's very similar to the small cap strategy it's going to all be about their science all about their platform and um, also management integrity is very important especially on the private side so um, the bottom line is for us it's all about the technology and the platform and the data that they have uh, in front of them so uh, I, i we're almost somewhat size agnostic, but um, we, we definitely apply a much higher discount rate to the small caps in our DCF modeling, uh, as well as the privates. Because with privates, obviously, there's huge liquidity risk, right? Um, and uh, if they're earlier stage, then uh, they'll also get a higher discount rate in our uh, DCF modeling, basically saying they're, they're higher risk.
0: And I mean, small caps, I mean, we've seen here in the UK, um, there's been a lot of interest in certain names in the market that are, I can really only describe them as small cap, if not micro cap companies, um, usually because there's one treatment in particular that's very topical, um, investors like that. Um, frequently, it's around, recently, it's been around COVID testing or or treatment of um, COVID. From your perspective, when when you're dealing with something like that, how do you how do you manage risk um, in in terms of getting exposure to companies like that? Because obviously, you're a as as a big um, listed um, investment company that you you could easily take quite a big slice of the action in a small cap. So, what what's your? You've already mentioned obviously that the science is important, but what what other sort of risk management protocols do you have there?
1: From a very high level. Uh, our risk management uh, protocol involves not only myself, if, if, if it's a stock I'm looking at, whether it's small cap or uh, private. First of all, my team has to uh, approve of the investment. So, you know, the other six portfolio managers will go through the model, they'll, you know, ask lots of questions, etc. Uh, if my team then agrees with me, I then have to propose that to my board of directors. And um, it's a very seasoned board, very professional board. And uh, they are ultimately the ones who will say yes or no to to an investment. So one of the big risk management strategies we we have is to have multiple sets of eyes looking at one investment, Uh, not just mine, just so I don't have my bias pushing it forward. Um, We also, as I uh, earlier mentioned, apply higher discount rates to higher risk companies Uh, and therefore if our dcf comes back and the valuation doesn't match we don't invest so i think those are are two of the major risk mitigations we have Uh, another thing we do with our board is twice a year we have what are called strategy meetings and it's where we get in person with our entire board we invite our portfolio managers Portfolio companies to come present, and then uh, the board gets to interact with our investments as well. So it's another level of engagement of uh, the board of directors. We also invite companies on our monthly board calls. So it's just a constant, um, a constant evaluation and um, you know monitoring of what the companies are doing
0: is this a sector that you see a lot of IPO activity in in biotech companies coming onto the market for the first time? And is that something that you, you like to get involved in as well when, when there's a, there's a new company coming out?
1: Um, Absolutely. The IPO market was extremely hot for a, for a while and and doing very well. Mm -hmm. Um, I was getting, you know, two to three new IPOs in my inbox every day, almost for a while um, so it, it became uh, overwhelming in a sense, but I think that started to cool off. A lot of the IPO started very much underperforming. Um, and in fact, I was on the, I was on the, uh, on the phone all morning with uh, different bankers today. Uh, Cause we are getting very, uh, very active in our diligence process in the, in the private uh, sector. Um, and they're saying now, you know, IPOs, you know, a lot of these companies are getting a lot more, let's say, cognizant of their valuations, of what they think their valuation should be and where it actually is. So it's, it's you know, telling them to take kind of a deep breath and say, look, you're not going to get that valuation in an IPO. And in fact, I, when I speak with private companies, I urge them to stay private, you know, until they absolutely need to IPO because uh, these markets are so difficult. Um, so, uh, the, the short answer is yes, we definitely participate in IPOs. We participate in crossovers. Um, but right now I think, you know, given market conditions, uh, I think the IPO market's going to be much slower than it has been, let's say over the last 18 months.
0: Thinking about, as you say, volatile markets at the moment. Um, some investors will be looking at traditional defensive stocks, big pharmaceutical companies. The pharma sector generally is always favored at these times because you know people don't stop falling ill. Um, uh, there is more focus now on 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 this sector because of COVID, and people are more interested in it than they used to be. How how do you see the the biotech market um, faring under the current? conditions because obviously biotech is not big pharma it's much more sort of research driven much more pioneering um how how would you expect it to behave under the current state of market volatility
1: yeah i think covid is definitely an overhang i think it's an overhang for every sector to be honest but in terms of biotech where covid really hits hard is uh number one in clinical trial enrollment and um and how they uh, proceed. And number two, in the sales of certain drugs. Um, So for example, one of our portfolio holdings, Neurocrin, they have a drug called Ingressive for a disease called tardive dyskinesia. It's a a disease of irregular movements caused by anti uh, schizophrenic drugs. And the diagnosis really requires people and doctors and patients to be uh, together. So COVID did impact um, them quite a bit. Uh, nonetheless, they're still growing. But that's one way COVID can Im- impact uh, the biotech sector. Uh, but that being said, I would say that uh, a lot of companies now, and a lot of uh, especially the companies that are running clinical trials in in human beings, uh, they and their clinical trial sites have gotten more, uh, let's say, adept to. Uh, navigating the COVID protocols and uh, getting patients to actually be able to come in for in-person visits, uh, I think the sector as a whole is learning how to to navigate this uh, this issue. Um, the only the, the one of the big overhangs is, as we saw with Omicron uh, this past fall, is that new variants come out with COVID, and so a lot of people are kind of sitting there thinking like well once the ne- next one comes out it's going to really uh, impact the sector again um so that's why i think once we start getting getting more let's say used to covid new variants etc uh i think things will smooth out a bit there
0: um and then basically other factors like inflation um obviously interest rate increases worry investors we've just seen the just seen the Bank of England here raising rates does that will that, would you anticipate that will affect the biotech sector and and m a activity within the biotech market?
1: yeah, uh, another great question Stuart um, so in, increasing interest rates are uh, i think just perceived negatively across stocks as a whole um, you know borrowing costs increase et cetera. Um, But this doesn't universally apply to biotech, in my opinion. Um, But the perception can definitely create uh, an overhang on the stocks. Um, Inflation, you know, historically tends to drive investment in other sectors, such as uh, commodities, real estate, etc. So, the biggest impact that I see uh, these increasing rates and inflation having upon the biotech sector is uh, basically it's keeping generalists completely on the sideline. Uh, so we're not having that generalist uh, cash inflow. So it's it's basically a specialist. But I can tell you all the conversations I've been having over the last months, uh, inflation and interest rates have not been brought up at all uh, in, in the conversation. So to special invest specialist investors, I don't think it's as much of an issue, but uh, it's definitely something that kind of spills over to our sector uh, across uh, the equity markets.
0: I mean, speaking of specialist investors versus generalist investors, I, have you been seeing any more generalist investment money coming into into the biotech sector um, because of because of COVID and because of the focus that that's brought to certain specific companies? Or does it, is it still very much specialists who are interested in this
1: area? I think by large and far right now, it's, it's specialist. Um, uh, even when I was sp- uh, speaking with some uh, investment bankers this morning and I asked them, I said, do you have any generalist interest in the biotech sector? And they said, absolutely not. So I think by and large, it's specialist driven.
0: Do you think that that's uh, partly because it's a diff- difficult sector to understand? Some people a little—it's a bit like mining in that you require a level of um, technical understanding to to really under- you know, get to grips with what a particular uh, company is doing, and because so much depends then on on getting FDA approvals, and it's hard for a, a generalist to to really be able to gauge whether this company is going to make it or not, or whether this particular treatment is going to make it or not. Um, and I guess in a way that sort of plays into your hands because you can do that for investors because you have the specialist knowledge and they can, they can invest with BB biotech, for example, and let you get on with that side of things.
1: Absolutely. I think that's a very, very fair comment. Um, and, uh, if you asked me to analyze a mining company right now, I wouldn't even know where to start. So, um, I think that's, it's a very fair comment. Biotech can be extremely technical, extremely involved. Um, and it's, let's just be honest, it's a highly risky sector. It is. Um, but from BB biotech standpoint, um, what we try to do is provide our investors with access to the biotech market, uh, uh, without them having to, you know, go to medical school. Um, and, uh, you know, we, uh, We believe fully in the biotech sector and, you know, I've seen these downswings before. Markets do go in cycles and uh, we're we're fully confident that the fundamentals of the biotech sector have never been better than they are now. We're just caught up in a, uh, let's say, a perfect storm of bad things happening. Uh, That being said, there were several clinical setbacks over the last uh, 12 to 18 months. Um, That's fair. Um, But it seems like good news uh, is sell the news. Bad news is kill the company. Uh, That's kind of the attitude I'm seeing right now from investors. Uh, And that's not us. Uh, We're we're fully in this. And um, uh, um, we are very fully confident that this is going to come back. And the biotech sector is delivering extremely promising uh, new medical therapies for patients that you know, in some cases were never even available before. So we're we're still very positive even even in a tougher environment.
0: And I can't I can't really finish without mentioning um, Moderna, which has been one of your one of your bigger positions. Um, what's your what's your feeling on that? Because that's obviously something we know a lot of our a lot of our listeners, a lot of our readers on the website be very interested in in, in that particular stock. Um, what's your opinion on that and, and how well have you guys done out of moderna
1: um so to answer your last question we've uh we've been extremely profitable with moderna moderna has been a huge winner for us and of course the stock is extremely volatile around these covid um updates whether it's pfizer's oral pill or a new variant whatever uh we've we've made a huge return on investment in moderna um, they have an excellent management team. We are very, very close to them, almost on the phone with them every day. Um, but, uh, you know, we didn't invest in, in Moderna because of COVID. We invested, you know, um, actually we invested when they were still private. But um, they, uh, the pipeline there, I think, holds a ton of promise, uh, especially their vaccines. So they're looking at influenza, RSV, cytomegalovirus. Um, and we've seen what they can do with COVID, so their platform now has proof of concept that it works very well. So I think Moderna is uh, an excellent company, and it's been a huge, um, a huge win for BB Biotech and and the world in general with the amount of vaccine they they've been able to uh, produce for a, for a small biotech and the amount of cash they have on the balance sheet. It's it's a, a great investment for us
0: and i i can't i mean that i just one last question i want to ask you before we finish and um that's really more from the perspective of strategy when you approach a company one of the things i've noticed with biotech companies is uh, from the private investors perspective is a lot of private investors will see one particular drug or treatment the company's working on this is particularly the case in the small cap area um And even though that company might have several different drugs or treatments in development, everyone is focusing on this one, which they think is going to be the gold mine for that particular company, and that's what suddenly will drive the price if it's a small-cap stock. Um, When you're looking at biotech companies, is it a case that you'll be particularly interested in one specific um, drug that they might be working on, or, or is it more a case of, you like to see a company that's got multiple treatments on the go. Because one of the things I've noticed having looked at some of these biotech small caps, which have performed well or performed badly over the last 12 to 18 months has been a lot of them are doing a lot of other very interesting things. They just happen to have a COVID related treatment that everyone suddenly gets incredibly excited about, but they're, they're doing, you know, they work, they've got work on the go in cancer. They've got work on the go in dementia those look like very interesting medicines but you get the feeling that the private investor doesn't really pay that much attention to the other stuff going on under the hood from your perspective as a as a sort of professional um do you do you tend to focus on the whole suite of the company's uh, work or or is it more a case of one particular treatment comes up on the radar or is it more a case of really depends on the company
1: yeah it's a very broad question but a very good question so when we look at companies um, if they are in clinical development we'll look at their lead asset and that'll be let's say the basis of our valuation so that'll be the one we model out in terms of revenue forecasting um that being said we look at what their platform can do not just their pipeline but their platform the technology that they have and if that lead asset is the basis of the valuation, then that can provide proof of concept for the rest of their platform pipeline. If 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 that makes sense, and so yes, we will look at the most advanced uh, compound in their in their pipeline, uh, as will most people. And you have to do that because if that one fails, there then you're you know kind of run into some problems, uh, especially stock price wise. Um, So we definitely look at the lead asset and that's, that's, you know, the most important in our valuation, but the pipeline um, can, can add a lot of value. An example of that is Ionis. Um, Ionis has over 40 uh, compounds in their pipeline. Um, I think they have six phase three studies running. So their, their pipeline already has the proof of concept. We know that antisense, works that's that's the basis of their platform uh, but they've made continuous evolutions to their chemistries that makes it more potent and more safe. And so therefore now their pipeline is getting to be more attractive not that Wall Street's valuing that at all right now they're not I don't believe but um, that's an example of a company where we would look at kind of lead assets and secondary assets. Whereas if you were to go to a, you know, one or two compound small cap company, uh, the lead compound is going to get all the credit for now, especially in these markets. People are looking for things to invest in, but very selectively.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you very much indeed for that, Dallas. Really appreciate your time. And thanks for coming on the the podcast this afternoon, our time, this morning, your time. Uh, Thanks a lot.
1: No problem. Thank you, Stuart.
0: You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast, make sure you visit our website www.thearmchairtrader.com for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.